Erasmus. Welcome to another episode of The Weekly Wrap, a podcast in which we tell you about some of the top news and articles featured in the latest edition of Farmers Weekly magazine, as well as the trending topics for the week from our online and social media platforms. Today we will take a look at the 19 and 26 June combined issue in which we focus specifically on poultry production. This issue will be on shelf from next week until the end of June. We do anticipate that should South Africa remain under level three or a lower level of the COVID-19 lockdown, we will resume our normal weekly production schedule early in July. However, for today, our main feature in the 19 and 26 June issue Profiles Lynn Griesel from Fulhunskroen in the Free States to Lani Chicken's business. Griesel started this business 15 years ago just as a regular boiler production business, but she has managed to turn it into a thriving, full-service operation from primary production as well as an abattoir and the packaging and marketing of value-added free-range chicken products. Kriesel says that key to her success was the decision to switch from conventional to free-range boiler production. Without economies of scale, as Kriesel explains, she found it increasingly difficult to compete in the broiler chicken market. However, switching to free-range chickens not only allowed her to tap into a more lucrative niche market, but this also opened further avenues for value-adding. Free-range chickens, she says, fetches a higher market price than cage birds, and she has seen demand for free-range chicken growing. Grisel also works hard to market her products using vehicle branding, social media, a website, and sending samples to potential clients. In the livestock section, we feature Deal Miles, a beef, mutton, and wool farmer in the Cedarville area of the Eastern Cape who shares some advice on producing high-quality stored fodder that can help livestock farmers maximize kilograms of meat or wool produced per hectare by maintaining a farm's carrying capacity even during the coldest months of winter. Some of the advice that Miles shares includes that farmers must make sure that the increased carrying capacity generated by feeding stored fodder is enough to pay for the running costs of the tractors, drivers, and all the other implements required to produce the fodder in the first place. He says that to cover these costs properly, a sizable number of productive animals must use this resource. And that because understocking is not financially viable, planning is needed to ensure that all stored fodder is used as efficiently as possible. According to Miles, without stored fodder, his family's agribusiness would have to reduce its livestock numbers by about 30%. And um, in the article, he also lists most of the minimum requirements needed to make the process of producing stored fodder cost-effective and efficient. The 2020-2021 cropping season will mark the fifth year since the first case of full armyworm was reported in South Africa. In our crop section in the magazine this week, researchers from the Agricultural Research Council and the Northwest University's 
Integrated Pest Management Program, write about best practice methods learned during these past five years for implementing an integrated pest management plan against for armyworm. Some of the advice they give is that scouting for the pest is the most important part of this integrated management plan, while according to them, chemical control against full armyworm is not an option when the cost of application exceeds the loss in value of the crop caused by the pest. The researchers also, also caution that the window of opportunity for effective action against full armyworm is limited to the first larval stage which lasts for only about a week once the pest is established within a crop. Then moving on to news, um, some of the news featured in the 1926 June issue include a report on a farmer from KwaZulu-Natal who ran what well, essentially amounted to a pyramid scheme for leasing dairy cows. And this farmer has now been sentenced to 25 years in jail for the scheme. We also investigate the vegetable pricing structure in South Africa after receiving reports from several farmers who said they were forced to plough their crops back into the land rather than harvest it due to the poor prices on fresh produce markets, um, especially during level four and level five of the COVID-19 lockdown. The farmers are arguing that they receive an unfair share of the profit earned within the entire fresh produce value chain compared to the share they carry in terms of risk. And um, the farmers also added that the rand difference between farm gate prices and what consumers ultimately end up paying for produce is inexplicably large. Other news stories look at the price outlook for agricultural commodities, given the fact that globally consumers will be under much pressure especially with global GDP growth expected to contract by around 5% this year, according to the latest estimates released by the World Bank. Finally, for this week's episode, let's quickly look at some of the latest news posted on the Farmers Weekly website, farmersweekly.co.za. The hunting and wildlife industry is very much relieved that so-called subsistence hunting or biltong hunting will now be allowed under level three of the lockdown, but industry leaders say that ranchers will struggle to recuperate losses suffered during level four and five of the lockdown. Audrey Kitz of Buita, the CEO of Wildlife Ranching South Africa, said that the country's annual hunting season typically ran from the end of May to the end of August, but due to the national lockdown, the 2020 local hunting season only began during the first week of June, and even so, recreational and sport hunting remains prohibited under Level 3. Buti Kirchner, hunting affairs manager at the South African Hunters and Game Conservation Association, said that although the association's members welcomed permission for subsistence hunting, wildlife ranching operations were unable to achieve the full financial value that these hunts usually generated. According to Kirchner, who said in an interview with Farmers Weekly, hunters now have to do their annual hunting excursions alone, which severely influenced the potential income to the hunting destination. Kirchner added that due to ongoing financial challenges, 
the owners of hunting destinations had largely kept prices for subsistence hunting about the same as in recent years. And all of this, together with the fact that the 2020 hunting season will be shorter than usual, will probably result in fewer animals being hunted this year in South Africa. This, according to Kitzafwurta and Kirchner, did not only have financial implications for game farmers, but would also later in the year pose a problem for sustainable management of excess wildlife populations on these hunting properties. We also report on the website on a recent judgment by the Grahamstown High Court, which has approved an urgent interim interdict to temporarily ban livestock exports by sea from South Africa until at least 16 July. The interdict was applied for by the NSBCA and was granted against the Kuwaiti company Al Mawashi, which has been buying live sheep from the Eastern Cape for shipboard exports to the Middle East. Since late 2019, two shipments totaling about 120,000 live sheep have been exported from the Eastern Cape aboard Alma Washi's fleet of specialized livestock transport ships. An NSPCA statement said the recent unexpected arrival of a ship in the East London Harbour to load about 70,000 sheep had prompted the interim interdict application ahead of the 16 July date scheduled for the Grahamstown High Court to hear the NSPCA's application for a permanent interdict against Al-Mawashi and the export of live animals by sea from this country. Gerard Skitter, who is the CEO of the Red Meat Producers Organization, told Farmers Weekly that the RPO and the Red Meat Industry Forum were opposed to this permanent ban. Skitter said that livestock exports by ship should be permitted, subject to certain animal welfare requirements being met. According to Skitter, at this stage, there are international codes of practice in terms of what these requirements must be, and the World Organization for Animal Health has already written such codes, he said. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening in on this episode of the Weekly Wrap. Do tune in next week when I will be interviewing well-known agri-economist Wandila Shishlobo from the Agricultural Business Chamber about his recently published book, Finding Common Ground. In the meantime, remember to follow us on social media for all the latest farming news updates. We are on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly SA. Stay warm, stay safe and as always, happy farming.